ignore your children. It's good for them. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. So next week, we have a brand new thing that we're doing. We have a guest. We will be having Kara from Letters to Lyra on, and she's going to be with us to talk about Walks in Bad Weather, Red Indian Life, and The Children Require Country Air. But that's next week, so you only get us today. Just just us. Just us. you know, you were like expecting always. something different. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so our hope, I'm working on trying to get guest speakers for mostly part five, Lessons as Instruments of Education, so that we who are fumbling through this can benefit from some of the people who have done a lot of research and a lot of digging. And so if you know of anyone who you would like to hear um, talk about lessons, or if you would like to talk with us about lessons, get a hold of us. Right. You can in shoot it. all the ways. Yeah. Shoot us an email at Charlotte Mason says at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I know it this time. <laughs> Or get a hold of us through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. There's a, a, a comment box thing on our website, too. Oh, there's a comment box. Co- uh, contact us box. That's true. Well, and I know our episodes can have comments. Yes. Because people have commented before. Yes. I put a discuss app on our website. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So, out-of-door geography. This kind of feels like the first of a lessons section. It did. I felt like we were actually getting into some practical things. Although, everything everything over the last couple of chapters has been practical. It's been get out and do stuff. But this is more get out and do stuff. And here are some specific things to do while you're out doing stuff. She will get into geography in lessons also. I'm looking at the table of contents. It's chapter, what's that, 18 of part five. So. I guess she'll go into more details then. Yeah. In June, we'll get there. <laughs> well, and we'll all, she touches on, we'll touch on uh, training in French. And she has a whole chapter on that as well. Chapter 20. So she she definitely will touch on these things we're talking about now. I I feel like she's more just giving an overview of what you should be doing. Especially since this is part of Outdoor Life for Children section. She's like, well, you're already outside, so here's how you do geography outside. Well, it's almost, I mean, it starts out, okay, so let's actually get into this. So she says, uh, after this long digression intended to impress upon matters. Mothers. Matters, mothers. <laughs> Sorry. She says, after this long digression intended to impress upon mothers the supreme importance of stirring up their child, stirring up in their children a love of nature and of spiritual objects. Natural. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Did I say nature and spiritual? No, objects? you said yeah, you said nature and spiritual objects. Wow, I'm real good at this. Stirring up in their children a love for nature and of natural objects. Uh, we must return to the mother whom we have left out of doors all this time, waiting to know what she is to do next. Did you look up where she we left her? Where this tangent no, went off? No, I, I didn't. I just chuckled because I thought it was funny. I Because uh, I feel like she's been out here the whole time with them. Uh, so the kids come back to their mother in sightseeing. Sightseeing, picturing. Yeah, I mean, the kids are just out there doing stuff. I think it's probably when she started talking about the specifics of flowers and trees and sightseeing. and Oh, that would make sense. Because, okay, in and the first part, in a growing time, the mother comes out. Uh, they must be let alone, but at the same time, here's mother's opportunity to train the seeing eye, the hearing ear, and to drop seeds of truth. So I think that's where we left her. Leaving. She sent them off on an exploring expedition. Leaving the children alone. Yeah. 
So we're finally getting back to mother. We are getting back to mother. So what I really wanted to get to, though, is uh, she continues and says, This pleasant earth of ours is not to be overlooked in the out-of-door education of the children. How do you get time for so much? Is the question. And the answer here, oh, I leave out subjects of no educational value. I do not teach geography, for instance, said an advanced young theorist with all sorts of certifications. (laughs) (laughs) So that almost seems like it's her little jab at the. uh... It's a jab and a transition, a segue. She just segued from one section to the next and says, Hey, geography is actually important, and here's why. Well, not only does she say it's important, but she says, but the mother who knows better will find a hundred opportunities to teach geography. By the way, a duck pond is a lake or an inland sea. Any brooklet will serve to illustrate the great rivers of the world. A hillock grows into a mountain, an alpine system. A hazel copse suggests the mighty forests of the Amazon, and on and on and on, where... You can use your imagination and you can look at things and see how they would work on a grander scale. Mm-hmm. So question, the way you read that, you read teach geography, by the way, like it was a, oh yeah, you can do this too. Well, no, that was just me stopping because oh, okay. I was going to stop at geography. But yeah, teach geography, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. As, as it's happening, as she's going. Right. Yep. I did not read that very well. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to. <laughs> but no, she. what she does say, though, uh, she says uh, you'll find 100 opportunities to teach geography, by the way, while you're outside, while you're walking along, while you're looking at stuff, you can look around and see a couple things and go, oh, man, doesn't that look like that? And maps can wait until the by and by. So even while you're doing this, you don't need to pull out the maps. Well, so, so it was. Uh, I read a book recently where basically the whole island of Nantucket was transported three thousand years into the past. Do you remember the name of the book? No, but it's the Nantucket series by somebody. <laughs> um, across well, the sands me, of time. Let me look it up real quick. Island in the Sea of Time. Yeah. By S. M. Sterling. So I was reading Island in the Sea of Time by S.M. Sterling, and it's a book where the entire island of Nantucket is transported about 3,000 years into the past. Whoa. And so they have all of their technology and make it work, but nowhere else do they have that kind of technology. And they have a couple airplanes. They have a Coast Guard ship that was close when the event happened. So they have some pretty good technology, but they also have the concept of aerial maps. And when they go and make alliances with other nations and try to capture the rogue American who went off and was like, I'm going to make myself king among all these savages. They were all astonished at the thought of seeing something like the bird sees it and drawing a map like a bird sees it. Because that concept just hadn't hit them ever yeah it, it was fascinating how how sterling mr sterling pulled things that you wouldn't think about and various concepts that we just assume in our in our 21st century we assume you know people look at maps and that's fine right uh, that's you normal. understand what a map looks like yeah you, you have it on your gps this is just this is what the city looks like but that's not what a city looks like when you're standing on the ground. No, no, it's not. And so I think that's a big reason why maps can wait is because that concept of you know, we're looking down at something and this is what we see isn't necessarily there in the ages of six to nine. Yeah, no, that's true. The other thing I think she talks a lot about I mean, she okay, so she talks position of the sun, she talks distance, direction, cardinal directions, practicing finding directions, and then using compasses and boundaries. Uh, everything she's talking about is one thing building on top of the next. Mm-hmm. And nothing she's talking about, she's not talking about countries or cities or uh, locational. It's physical geography, not pull. Po- po- 
geopolitical, geopolitical, geography. or even even not not geopolitical, but location based geography. You know, the pond is here, and then two hundred feet to the west is a thing, and to the north is another thing. Like you'll get there. Yeah, she gets there, but but she wants that to be in the child's head, not on a piece of paper. Yeah, and when you get to the drawing of it is after the child knows all about these things. And so it translate. It seems that it would translate more easily because the child understands physical geography. That makes sense. And so when you then look at a map, or or even specifically, you draw a map of what you know, then it then it makes sense in your head. So that when you then look at a map of the thing you don't know, you can put yourself on that map and see what it is. It's a honestly, it's a skill that. You know, so so in my job as an engineer, I I draw blueprints for buildings to be designed or to be built, and I work with architects and other engineers, and that's one of the skills that some people in the industry have is to be able to look at a drawing and a set of drawings that's flat, and put yourself in the space in your mind's eye, and not everybody can do that. I can't. No, Kristen, we shoot. You At can't. I, we've. I've I've tried to explain how to do that, and you, you can't. So I trust the people who design things that they're going to look good. <laughs> because those people can do that. Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons why is because a lot of what, and I learned this because I work with architects, a lot of what architectural school is, is is drawing and art and, and physically building things with your hands and then also making plans of those things so that you can see physically what it is based on the piece of paper. And that seems like what she's doing here. She wants the children to be able to see in their mind's eye the world around them and then translate that onto paper so that the reverse can also happen. They can look at paper and translate that into their mind's eye so they can see the world around them based on that paper. That makes sense. Well, and some of these things are things that I don't even really understand because I didn't, this, this training didn't really happen. Or hasn't yet happened. Yeah. This is why we homeschool, so I can learn more things. Right? It's not for the children. So first she talks about learning about the positioning of the sun. She says the children should be taught to observe the position of the sun in the heavens from hour to hour and by this position to tell the time of day, which I can't do. I can do it towards the evening where we're, if you put your fist out uh, at the horizon, you've got about a half hour per fist. Oh, okay. As far as the sun is above the horizon. I learned that because of snowboarding. And because ah. it's early and you, you need to know when the lifts close. The lifts typically close at four o'clock. Right. And so you you need to, to measure how much time you have. And, and not every lift has a clock at the top of it. Exactly. That's funny. But yeah, I, I know that, but there there are there's some really cool things you can do. Yeah. Yeah, there are. And then they want to know, you know, why does the sun keep traveling like this? And then you can talk about other things and and build upon that knowledge at the time that they want to know it. Right. Well, and that's a conversation that we've had with our children on a regular basis is that, yeah, the sun doesn't move. The earth moves around the sun. Mm-hmm. And the earth spins. And oh, by the way, the sun also moves. Clouds and rain, snow and hail, winds and vapors fulfilling his word. It's a quote. It is. This one's fun. This is from Psalm 148. Really? And it is um, a... A lot of the psalms at the end of the uh, Psalter or the Book of Psalms are praises to God, and this one is that praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him angels, praise Him sun and moon and stars and waters, as let them let them praise Him, and then praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. Mountains, hills, fruit trees, cedars, beasts, livestock, kings, people, princes, rulers, young men, maidens, old men, children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Praise him for his saints, for the people of Israel who are near him. Praise the Lord. So it's a litany of 
moving from heaven to earth to to the things of the earth to the creatures of the earth to the humans in the earth everything praises god so i i loved that quote that she put in here so all of these things and and the way that things are quoted you know you quote one line and a lot of times you're referring to everything around it and these are everyday mysteries that the mother will be called upon to explain faithfully however simply and these things are things that you can explain to a children from within the walking radius of their own home right because they happen they happen where you're at they happen where you live and now she's going to start going into these things in terms of geographical terms. Well, and how you define what it means to go for a walk. So distance, she starts off with, is one of these geographical terms. And the first idea of distance is to be attained by what children find a delightful operation. It's a game. It is. So the method that she goes through here is that you measure the child's gait, each pace, and each of their brothers and sisters. And then when you go on a walk, you solemnly pace it. And a little sum follows. So many inches or feet covered by each pace equals so many yards in the whole distance. And then you measure various short distances around the child's home. And when the idea of covering distance is fully established, the idea of time as a means of measurement should be introduced. So the time it, the time taken to pace 100 yards should be noted down. And she says, having found out that it takes two minutes to pace 100 yards, children will be able for the next step that they have, that if they have walked for 30 minutes, the walk should measure about 1,500 yards. So the idea that time and distance are related mm-hmm. and you can start talking about speed. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can start talking about acceleration. It's like we said last week, it's giving words yeah. to things that they know and understand. It is, which is which is so powerful. So, you know, I, I took a lot of math classes and physics classes. So speed is, oh, goodness gracious. Any math people out there are going to throw rocks at me right now. But speed is the is the derivative of acceleration. And and so, you know, that it, in mathematical terms, there's there's a definition for all of these things and then acceleration is a derivative of of, i think energy or something i don't know i think i've felt the rock hit me (laughs) all of our listeners are yelling at me now driving in their car yelling at me is this from personal experience (laughs) maybe i I might have yelled it no uh, maybe Uh, but anyway (laughs) but but no i mean that's that's how that's how scientific discovery has always happened is you you notice something and then you try and figure out what it is and why it is and so not only are we teaching children these things, we're teaching them distance, and then we'll get into direction here, but we're, we're walking them through that scientific method of observation and then put a name to it and mm-hmm. then study it. But it's all based on that, that first observation of a thing. You well, observe the thing and then you test it. And how it's related to other things. Yes, that too, which is not a thought I had had until I was reading through it this time going, oh, yeah, they're all related to each other. Speed and acceleration, they go together. And one is the derivative of the other, but I don't remember how it goes. Anyways. By the time they have got somewhat familiar with the idea of distance, that of direction should be introduced. She says the first step is to make children observant of the progress of the sun. So to take notes of the sun over a year and note down for himself the times of its rising and setting over the greater part of the year, the points of its rising and setting, And she says, after you've done that, you've secured a good basis of definite knowledge. I just had an idea. Ding. What if you take a picture of... the sound of the light going off. Yeah, I know. Um, You're going to make me lose it. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on to it. So you stand in one place and take a picture um, and, you know, blow that picture up and make it... uh, just like a, a an outline of a drawing. So you have a definite geo, uh, geographical setting. And then every day over the year, you mark where the sun is. Or every week, you mark where the sun is on that cool. picture. So that you can see how it moves right to left. Yeah. So observing where the sun is, 
the times of rising and setting, the points of rising and setting, and they'll have a basis for a good deal of definite knowledge. And you can also look at the reflection of light, the cause of shadows, and you should associate hot hours of the day with the sun high overhead, the cool hours with the low sun, and the same thing with, you know, if you stand right in front of a fire, you get more heat than if you're in the corner of a room. You know what that made me think of? No. That means we need to have fires. Okay. Which uh, I'm okay with that. I like fires. Okay. <laughs> but that gives that gives credence, uh, you know, as we as we keep reading through these things, to go on camping trips to where you're outside for long periods of time mm-hmm. because you're kind of forced to be because the only inside is a tent. That can get stuffy. Right. Even in winter. So you go outside. So, yeah. You, so, you, then you get the idea that the direction depends entirely upon the sun. Mm-hmm. Which leads to east and west. She says, of course, the first two idea. I don't uh, think she said it like that. No, she definitely said it like that. Of course, the two <laughs> first ideas are that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. She was a valley girl. From this fact, we will be able to tell the direction is, oh, that's not an is, We'll be able to tell the direction in which the places near his own home or the streets of his own town lie. And then learning how to tell which way is which. Yeah. What's north, what's south, and how those relate to each other as far as which way you're facing. Yeah. And that way, when you go somewhere you don't know, you can can figure it out. Mm -hmm. You can wait for the sun to be, or you can wait for, for noon. And see where your shadow goes, and that's north. Except if you're in the southern hemisphere. You can see where your shadow goes, and... That's south. That's south. I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. I I looked that up because I was like, really? Is that accurate? Which I didn't really doubt her, but I was very curious. And they have all sorts of you know ways you can measure it and tell time and direction with your watch. Yeah. And, oh, it's crazy and stuff. And daylight savings messes things up. That's another reason to get rid of daylight saving. Right, it's because lame. Well, yeah, because because at noon it's that the sun is directly directly overhead. John's doing something with his thumb. I'm, right. I'm this is great for, for an audio medium. Never mind, I'm gonna stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's at no so so at noon the sun is at a ninety degree angle from the surface of the earth on that uh, vertical line. So no matter where you are on that, was that latitude, longitude? Latitude is a ladder. So So, it goes around the world. So the longitude, which is the long one, I guess. Yep. That's how I learned it. Wow. (laughs) I never learned these things. So the long one, the the longitude, the the sun is going to be at a 90 degree angle from the surface of the earth on the longitude. So yeah, 12 noon is always going to be straight up. Unless it's daylight savings and it's one o'clock. But yeah, anyway, so there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. Um, I, I will say when we, so when we moved to Albuquerque, one of the things that blew my mind. So I had a good concept of maps and directions and, and cardinal directions and north and south. And so we went to Albuquerque. Now, if you've never been there, there's a mountain range, the Sandia Mountains that lie on the east side of Albuquerque. And on the west I guess kind of in the middle, there's the Rio Grande and it goes down the middle and then there's a a big old plain off the west side. And so Albuquerque is set up that it's going up to the Sandia Mountains. And so when we moved there, we would decide to go to a place after church. And so this was before your phone had a map on it. We would draw a map on the whiteboard at church and be like, all right, down this road, down that road, go there. Well, the question... My brother and I would ask us, all right, so we just drew a map. Which way is north? And they'd look at us and be like, north. Why do you care about north? Like, okay, which way did you draw us up? Well, the mountains. And we'd sit there and go, well, the mountains are east. You drew a, you drew a map with east being up? What is wrong with you? <laughs> just because the, the people there had, the mountains were up always. You always went up to the the mountains. Sloped up towards. Yeah, and so cardinal directions didn't matter there. It was the mountains were up, which I thought I still think is fascinating and crazy. But anyway, people people living out west do have an advantage because a lot of cities are laid out on grids. That's true. There's some in the east that are, but 
generally speaking, they work their way around hills. They work their way around Especially hills. Especially Asheville. Well, <laughs> I, so, practice in finding direction. This will throw an interesting light for him on the names of our great railways. I don't understand that. Right? Were the so were the railroads in uh in Britain were they named after directions? Good question. But if you're going to be taking your omnibus or rail to get out to the country, then it makes sense that the direction and the child would like knowing direction or learning direction would help the child with knowing where the railroads go. Right. If they're named appropriately. If they're named appropriately. All right. I, I guess that makes sense. And then you notice various things. And you notice the direction of the wind. And I I really like this um, tip tidbit. Um, remember that the wind is named after the quarter it comes from, not the point it blows toward. Just as you are English because you were born in England. Not French because you're going to France. I like that one. I thought that was a really good illustration. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and backing up just a little bit, there's a quote, and it is... The north wind doth blow, and we shall have snow. It's a song. It's one of the little folk songs. Oh, the north okay. wind doth blow, and we shall have snow. And what will the robin then do then, poor thing? He'll sit in the barn and keep himself warm and hide his head under his wing, poor thing. And what will the dormouse do? Roll up in like a ball in a nest snug and small. He'll sleep till warm weather comes in, poor thing. What will the children do then, poor things? When lessons are done, they must skip and run, jump and run, till they have, till they have made themselves warm, poor things. Huh, that's funny. And there's there's like all sorts of verses to that song. Nice. And in addition to teaching, you know, what do you do? You'd learn what all these other things do during the winter. Yep. As a children's song. We'll get there. We'll get there. She talks I know, about that at the but, end of this chapter. But she references it here too. She does. So I brought it up here. She does. It's, it is. Well, and I thought it was interesting, too, because she's living in Britain somewhere. She says, if the wind blows from the west, a west wind, we expect rain. Well, yeah, because it's blowing over the ocean. I hadn't thought about that until now, reading this. Mm -hmm. Distance and direction can now be combined. A building is 200 yards to the east of the gate, and the village is two miles to the west. And then what about places that aren't exactly east or west, north or south? And then you kind of work with it. And then later he gets a compass and it will give him extra names for all the directions he doesn't know how to describe. So now that we have a compass, we can do compass drills. Yes, but before that, oh, she says it's well to let him to let him give in a roundabout way the direction of places such as more to the east and the west. Very near the east, but not quite. It's halfway between east and west. Well, she says he'll value the exact means of expression all the more for having felt the need of them. Mm -hmm. So as he goes through and tries to make up that language on his own, as as he starts understanding what it is, that's when you can give it to him and you can give him a compass and you can say, all right, this is this is now the reality that you are understanding. It's true. And so you can you can go by by the cardinal directions. You can also go by the radial numbers that are on a compass from all, all the way from zero to 360. I, I'd never thought about that before. It's just, you know, a compass is a thing and that's what it is. But if you as a child have tried to understand that and, and tell that story all by yourself, then you don't have words for it. You don't have words for it, but you understand it. And so then again, giving the words to the child is the important thing here. Because the child has understood it already. So anyway, I, th I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. And do some things with the compass. Play with it. Walk straight. Turn around in a circle. I definitely did Watch all of those things. With the compass. Because it's a compass. Because it's cool. And boundaries. Once you got the idea of direction, you can understand boundaries. What is bounded by things. It's simply, you know, what touches it on every side. And then you yep. can get into ideas of counties or villages or ponds. And based on that, then you can get into, you know, plans and you can get into countries. And Yeah. 
When she goes here, she says, for every field or other space that is examined, they should draw a rude plan in the sand, giving the shape roughly and lettering the directions as north, south, west, etc. Et There's you know, one direction. There's left. one direction, north, south, west, etc. <laughs> and you know what the last direction has as its first letter? E. E, which is the same word, same letter as et cetera starts with. <sighs> Come, Come on, on, Charlotte Mason. Wasting ink. She had a letter count that she had to meet, I guess. I think she surpassed it. So then you can make plans according to scale. So there's math right there. Mm-hmm. Doing your gardens, your stable, your house, all of those things. And then in your neighborhood. And this is where you go, okay, neighborhood. I don't think many of our neighborhoods have hills, dells, pools, brooks, watershed, current, bed, banks, tributaries of a brook, and all of those things. But not maybe neighborhood, it means a larger section of an area than I think of a neighborhood as. Well, and not now that neighborhood to us means subdivision. Yeah. Where the land has been flattened and has been removed of all geographic oddities so that you can stuff more people in. That's true. So a neighborhood as being more a as more a natural thing that flows with the earth, you would have all those things in it. Also, if you live in a hilly place, there are gonna be hills. Uh think about the so my my parents and even your parents, they both lived around golf courses. Mm-hmm. And so all of those places had all of those things. They had hills and streams and plains. And That's true. All of those places. So I guess it just depends on what type of neighborhood you're in as to what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. But if you live in a subdivision where there are straight roads and rows of houses, then... That that I, that's not that clearly that's not the neighborhood that she's referring to here. Mm-hmm. So I know we've been talking for a while now, but you know why I think we've talked a lot about geography. She loves geography. Charlotte Mason does. Really? Before she wrote Home Education, she wrote an entire series on geography. Really? She has her own geography textbook because she couldn't find anything that was living so she wrote it herself (laughs) that's awesome it's a a set of five books of course Um, it is (laughs) and she started writing them in 1881 and she didn't publish home education until 1886 so wow so she got through all five volumes before she even wrote her i guess said home education in five years before she gave her home education lectures yeah that's a that's a lot of volumes to get through in a short period of time. I'm guessing she like wrote them kind of all and then published them. Yeah, that makes sense. So then we move on to chapter 10, which is the child and mother nature. So here we are back to the mother again. She says the mother must refrain from too much talk. And she says, well, does so wide a program alarm the mother? And I want to let it be known that program there is spelled wrong. <laughs> it is spelled with a British spelling. Which is wrong. Because clearly we're Americans. And we know how to do it right. Gosh. <laughs> As uh. we read the education from from a Brit lady. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> so she's saying, you know, the, the mother's the mother's freaking out that she she sees herself talking for five or six hours just to get through with all of that. And that's not even going to get through a quarter of it. A tithe. A tithe. A tenth. A tenth sorry. Mm-hmm. I had lost the word. I was looking for a little a number with a percentage and I couldn't find it. So I just ran with quarter. A tenth. But she says, so on the contrary, the less she says, the better. And as for the quantity of educational work to be got through, it is, it is the fable of the anxious pendulum over again. It is true there are countless ticks to be ticked, but there will always be a second of time to tick in, and no more than a single tick is to be delivered at any given second. So she's saying there's there's got there's time. You got time. You, and don't try to put two ticks into one second. Right. Don't try and put too much into a single moment because a, a a single bit is all a single moment needs. And also stop talking. 
So she talks about, you know, the, the sightseeing or the picture painting only takes about the quarter of an hour. And then you can study natural objects occasionally with, um, with, with occasional names given or remarks a dozen words long made at the right moment. So not, not like waxing ver- verbose with these things. Right, just a couple words here and there. And now see how much leisure there is left. The mother's real difficulty will be to keep herself from much talk with the children. And I absolutely love this one. And to hinder them from occupying themselves with her. That is so my life. (laughs) Go play. I want to be with you. Go play. I want to be next to you. Go play. And John doesn't have this issue. So my solution is to send them outside with John. Because then that difficulty has gone. <laughs> I don't think that's the right solution. No. <laughs> yeah. It might be one that works, but. Uh, it's it's my life. Even even when he's here. I mean, we'll be sitting in the, the living room and they'll leave him alone. And they'll come up to me for every single little thing. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There, There was a. One morning where you went to go be with them in the morning and keep them quiet until their green light turned on. And they came to talk to me. As soon as their light turned on, they left. Well, I had fallen asleep. And they came. They didn't wake him up. They came and woke me up. They know better than to wake me up. What on? (laughs) So, yes. I have trained them well. Ignore your children. It's good for them. So, yeah, there are a few things sweeter and more precious than to the child than playful prattle with her mother. They love it. But one thing is better, communing with the larger mother, Mother Nature. I really want to make a Yo Mama joke right now. And this is this is good. You know, you, I'm just, whatever. Just go. So the mother reads her book or knits her socks, checking all attempts to make talk. And then the child stares up the tree or down at the flower, doing nothing thinking of nothing, or leads a bird's life among the branches, or capers about in aimless ecstasy, quite foolish and irrational doings. But all the time, a fashioning is going on, and nature is doing her part. With the vow, this child I to myself will take, she shall be mine, and I will make a lady of my own. So is that familiar? I'm going to say yes. Wordsworth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Totally familiar. Same poem she quoted in um, Conditions for Healthy Brain Activity. Oh, okay. Chapter, or page 33. Interesting. So. So the thing I thought as we were, as you were reading that, the child stares up in the tree or down in the flower doing nothing or leads a bird life among the branches. We recently watched the old Disney movie, The Sword in the Stone, which is the, it's their rendition of the King Arthur story. And one of the things that they do a couple times is Merlin turns him into another animal. And so they get to be fishes. They get to be birds. I think there's one other thing that they get squirrels. to be. A squirrel. They get to be squirrels. But it, it reminds me of that scene because that's that's the the boy Merlin saying, wouldn't it be great to, to be these things? Wart. I'm sorry. The boy Arthur, not boy Merlin. Wart. Yeah. Whatever. Yes, they call him Wart because <laughs> what reasons? None of which make sense. I guess because he's a stain on their life and they'd like to get rid of him, but they can't, just like a Wart. So, if the mother is not allowed to talk to the kids very much, not allowed to let them play all over her, which, good luck with that, there are two things you can do. About once a week, Maybe, maybe once a week, maybe once a month. You point out some, to the child, some touch of a special loveliness of coloring or grouping in the landscape or in the heavens. And you can point out some lovely flower or gracious tree, not only as a beautiful work, but as a beautiful thought of God, in which we may believe that he finds continual pleasure and which he is pleased to see his human children rejoicing in. So tying everything together. I thought those were I, I had I had the same things highlighted. So, oh, that was a short chapter. Yeah, that's so. That's all the mother gets to do is sit there and be quiet and uh, force the children not to play with her. 
So like Crystal said, good luck. <laughs> uh, next chapter. Uh, chapter 11, out of door games, etc. I don't really know why she puts etc. there. Because it's not a list. Normally etc. only goes after a list. So these bright hours are <laughs> flying by. And there's still at least one more hour less. Or I'm sorry. There's still at least one lesson on the program. To say nothing of an hour or two for games in the afternoon. A lesson. Uh, it's a lesson. But only a little lesson. Ten minutes long. A slight break in the effort of attention will give the greater zest to the pleasure and leisure to follow. And which lesson does she recommend? The French lesson. And do it orally. And basically so that you learn the word basically as if you learn your first language. You use it just in daily talk. Here and there you find some words and you use them. And and she... Uh, she says, "Use you, learn words that the children are going to be using. Leaves, branch, bark, trunk, the colors of the flowers, the movements of a bird, cloud, lamb, child. Uh, you know, all of these things that they're going to be seeing and they're going to be saying and talking about. Throw that in there. Mm-hmm. We've been doing Spanish with the kids. And when they know the word to specific things, they will use it. Mm-hmm. And they, they pick it up just like they do their first language. They absolutely do. So the afternoon's games after luncheon are noisy. Yeah. For the young, for the elder children, the younger have probably worn themselves down. And this is where you're talking about, you know, let them sleep outside. They'll be fine. Meanwhile, their elders can play. The more they run, they shout and toss their arms, the more healthful is the play. And this is why you take them off to where nobody can hear them. The mothers should carry their children off to lonely places. Where they can, they may use their lungs to their heart's content without risk of annoying anyone. These children are annoying. Loud noises are annoying. Well, that's true. Well, this is an interesting way that she talks about it. You know, talking about the muscular structure of the or- voices. You know, when you do this, you exercise your voice. You talk about weak lungs, weak chest, weak throat. But somebody who has strong lungs, strong throat. You know, you've exercised it just like your arm or your wrist. Exercise training, use and work. Well, and you talk about voice actors or stage actors and the ability they have to use their voice over long extended periods of time and also create as much inflection as they can. You know, voice actors have to do so much, so many different things with their voice. Stage actors have to project their voice. Or sing if they're in a if they're in a singing production, and sing loudly. Mm-hmm. Like it's not you can't just sing quietly because you're, at least you didn't used to be mic'd. I was reading that opera singers aren't mic'd, and I I I don't go to opera. I think I've I don't think I ever have, but they're still not mic'd, That's so impressive. they have to still fill the room with their voice. Now, granted, the rooms are designed to be filled, but they still have to fill it. Mm-hmm. So. So just like just like voice actors, singers, and 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 actors will train their voice, she's talking about that with children too. Mm-hmm. So the the children need to work on their voices and their lungs, and they need to learn how to be loud so they can learn how to be quiet. And then give voice musically and move rhythmically to the sound of their own voices. So much the better. Here, French children are better than English children. They sing and dance through a hundred roundelays. Just such games, no doubt, as mimic marryings and buryings and children have played long ago in the markets of Jerusalem. I.e. Jesus probably played this. Right? Which is a crazy thought. Before Puritan innovations made us a staid and circumspect people. Darn Presbyterians. Puritans. Whatever. Puritans. They're different. That's true. English lads and lasses of all ages danced out little dramas in the village green accompanying themselves with the words and airs of just such rounds, rounds, whatever, as the French <laughs> children sing today, which is a round dance. A round. Round is a round dance. Makes me think of of Irish or Scottish music, because just dancing and playing and laughing well, it's and like fun. London Bridge. I mean, they, There's a few that have, have sustained. Oh, I get, yeah. Okay, that's what she's London talking about. London Bridge, you know. Here we go around the mulberry bush. Yeah. That 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 kind of song. Where you all hold hands and dance around in a circle. Yeah. I found a really fun website while I was doing this. Um I Googled some of these these songs. There came three dukes a riding. 
oranges and lemons. We're gathering the nuts in May. But via YouTube, I found this website called singinggamesforchildren.com. And they have at least the three Dukes and oranges and lemons. But she's got all sorts of folk dances and songs and chords and audio and videos. That's cool. And all sorts of stuff in different languages also. Nice. And it, I, I'm very excited to go explore this website. I found it, you know, last night. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, that's cool. So, yeah, singinggamesforchildren.com. Cool. Go check that out. Well, and it, it gives a, so again, going back to movement and uh, I guess we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's, it's good that children move and learn how to move and learn how their bodies work mm-hmm. so that they're not clumsy. And even still, they learn more from each other in this circumstance than they do from their teacher. Uh, you had talked earlier about a song and I said we would get to something. Oh yeah, the the sun, the snow one. The north wind doth blow, and we shall have snow. <laughs> that's actually that's the one I was looking at when I found this website. Okay, so from songs like that, they get to learn all kinds of things just because they learned a song, mm-hmm. and they they danced and laughed and played and sang, and they and learned it a thing. Sticks. Yeah. So she says. The promoters of the kindergarten system have done much to introduce games of this, or rather of a more educational kind. But it is not, but is it not a fact that the singing games of the kindergarten are apt to be somewhat inane? Also, it is doubtful how far the prettiest plays learnt at school and from a teacher will take hold of the children as do the games which have been passed on from hand to hand through an endless chain of children and are not found in the print books at all. Mm-hmm. The children learn from each other. The children learn from their own studies much more than they do from being taught. Mm-hmm. But then we get on to skipping rope and shuttlecock. She says crickets, tennis, and rounders are the games par excellence for the children if the children are old enough to play them. Now, cricket, I know, is a crazy game that doesn't make sense to anyone, even those that play it. They're still confused. <laughs> Tennis makes sense, all except for the scoring. Rounders is a movie about playing poker. Rounders is an early form of baseball. Uh, I guess because you run around the bases. Yeah, no, that's those are those are card players. It's an early form of baseball. She wants children to, to play uh, Texas Hold'em. So I I also googled that one, and there's a YouTube video of a family get like a family gathering. They're like, yeah, here's how we play rounders. They just had like a video set up and nice. set it up and the dogs were running after people oh and gosh. the young kids had tennis rackets to hit with Nice. And everything was just, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yes. I sat through and watched it. I sped it up also, but. So you sped up a sped up video. Yes. Nice. So. So the interesting thing here, I, I, she says, uh, you know, these games, she says, they're good both for giving free harmonious play to the muscles and also as serving the highest moral purpose of games in bringing the children under the discipline of rules because that's important. And it's, she also says, you know, you know, we're going to back up. We're looking at kids under the age of nine, so we're going to move on from there. But so she says, you know, formal games and formal games with rules and discipline are important after the age of nine. When right. they're older. Right. But they are they, they are important. And they, I, they have a time and a place. They do. And I had never thought about that, that, that having rules in a game where you have to adhere to the rules is good. So races, TIG, which is tag, follow my leader. We play in TIG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's what all the kids are saying. The hoop, the ball, the shuttlecock, and the invaluable skipping rope. She's she says, you know, for skipping rope, throw your throw it backwards, not forwards. So open up your chest. Open up the chest. That's not how Rocky Balboa does it though. Yeah, he has a shrunken in chest, apparently. And shuttlecock is the little thing with badminton. The Yeah, the, the little the, birdie. Okay. 
And so back in the day, you know, when Miss Austin could keep the cup and ball up a hundred times, you know, you have two paddles and, oh. and do it back and forth with people, not necessarily over a net, as in badminton. Oh, okay. You just hit the thing. Yeah. Nice. It's kind of like playing playing with volleyball, just hitting it back and forth. Mm-hmm. I thought it was when she said cup, cup and ball. I thought it was that you know that that game with the cup on the and the ball on the string that you throw the ball up and catch ah. it in the cup. I thought it was that, but it's not. It's just it's just hitting the birdie, hitting it, and you can make it a competition. So is she talking about Jane Austen here? Yes. Okay. Cool. I think I don't know of any other Miss Austen that she would be talking about. I don't know. I think so. Okay, we'll go with it. It's totally Jane Austen. And if it's not, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So where you count how many you can do and compete against other people. Mm -hmm. Because competition is also good. And have a thing, a a battle door, or paddle, in both hands so that you work both sides equally. Ah, so don't just be a right-handed ping pong player. Yep. Hmm. I need to fix that. But to ordain rules and such about children's game is an idle waste of words. For here, fashion is as supreme and as arbitrary as questions of bonnet and crinoline. It changes all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Fashion is a circle, just like children's games. So then we get on to climbing, and she really likes climbing. She says, climbing is an amusement not much in favor with mothers because of torn garments, bleeding knees, and boot toes rubbed into holes. To say nothing of serious risks, like, you know, falling and breaking. But truly, the exercise is so admirable, the body being thrown into endless graceful postures, which bring every muscle into play, and the training in pluck, daring, and resource so invaluable that it is a pity trees and cliffs and walls should be forbidden even to the little girls. She says, let your children climb. Let them climb on things. Well, and it, it helps. It You can do a good deal to avert the serious mishaps by working with them when they're little. The small feats of leaping and climbing so they learn at their time, at their pace, courage and caution from their own experiences and are less likely to follow the lead of the crazy people who haven't had that experience and who just want to do it all. And that... That is something that's that's actually really big and relevant for today. Yeah. There's a an article that I've had in the back of my mind for a long time. It's what to say instead of be careful. And she talks about this, you know, where the mother screams at the child, yeah, come down, you're too high. And the kid who's perfectly fine is shocked out of his his I his uh concentration. And then falls because she shouted at him. Right. So instead of shouting and instead of saying, be careful, one, be careful is not specific. It means maybe watch out for the poison ivy or watch out because the sky is falling or... Keep your balance. That gets skinny up there. Yeah. So the other thing is that it also instills fear. If there's you're saying be careful to the child when they're doing something like, oh, what what am I supposed to be careful about? Right. The suggestion in this article is to break that habit and to to stop before you shout, notice what they're doing, reflect what they're doing, and then respond in a, an appropriate way. Talk to them specifically about what it is. You know, she's she's says there's not a one right response for every situation. If your child's in danger, do act quickly, but maybe you just help them problem solve or foster awareness of what's going on well that's something we do a lot especially when our children get stuck in trees yeah they'll be crying and freaking out and just kind of calmly walk over and oh you're stuck well how are we going to get down Mm -hmm. let's walk through this or you see a child that's about to do something crazy and you call me be like hey let's let's think about let's think about this for a moment what are you about to do well she has questions to ask do you see this Try moving your feet slowly. Try using your hands. Can you hear the rushing water? Can you? F- do you feel stable on that rock? Are you excited? Are you tired? And use those as training into risky and challenging play so that they can practice their own problem-solving skills. What's your plan to do this? How? What are you going to use to get across? Where are you going to put that rock? Uh, how are you going to get up? 
it just all of those things that are so much more valuable than just be careful. Right. Well, and she she definitely touches on that. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I remember we talked about that a while ago, and that has that's definitely been a thing that we've that we work hard at mm-hmm. is not to just tell our children be careful, but but to explain it out. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference in risky and hazardous play. Hazardous, you know, if they're on a broken branch and there's that's just that's just hazardous. Playing with lawn darts, throwing. Throwing mm. knives at each other. Well, this gal has an example of uh, her children were doing battle swinging. They're on the swings doing battle with each other with the garden cultivators. You know, the rakes with the three pointy prongs. Oh, nice. Yeah. While they're swinging. That's good. So instead of saying, That's ah, safe. she says, it looks like you're having a very intense battle, but those are meant for gardening. What are you going to use instead? So they put away the sharp, prokey things and got sticks. Okay. So, I mean, there's there's difference between hazards, broken branches, climbing up broken trees, or just climbing up high in a tree where it's risky. Right, where, where you're taking a calculated risk. And you, you want to teach children how to avoid hazards and how to take those calculated risks. Mm-hmm. So is the tree dead? Don't climb on it. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> but no, when I was in, um, oh gosh, eighth grade, ninth grade, old enough to know better, um, <laughs> I climbed up a pine that the the branches that I was climbing on weren't weren't living; they were dead now. Ooh. And I got up a decent ways, and then I stepped on one that wasn't sturdy, and down you went, all the way down to the ground. Oof. Yeah. I remember that stuff. I believe you do. So. I remember not liking climbing on pines because I got sappy. That too. And there was just no fun. Okay. So on top of all of these things, when you do daring adventures. Oh, and swimming. She talks about swimming. It would be well if most children of seven were taught to swim. Not only for the possible usefulness of the art, but as giving them an added means of motion and therefore of delight. And again, back to clothing. Dress them properly in plain garments. Try to do wool, not not cotton or linen, so that when the child who is heated in play doesn't get chilled when when they stop. Right. That makes sense. So So find find appropriate clothing. And she talks a lot more about clothing in chapter six, the back to that um uh, where was it? Elements. Oh, she did talk about that. Uh, conditions for healthy brain activity. Yeah. Chapter, or we, which was episode 61 for us. So. So, yeah, that is. That's the end. That is those three chapters. Yeah, that those three chapters. Wow. So we just covered three chapters. Mm-hmm. Go team. Because one was like two pages. Yeah. Yeah. The whole mother mother's the child and mother nature it's kind of just stuck in there so yeah next week we're going to be with Kara from at letters to Lyra on Instagram and talking about more outdoor things yeah it's going to be exciting so we're going to have we're going to have a guest on the show we'll see how that goes yeah there's going to there's some technical things I'm going to have to figure out yeah and I did give her fair warning I told her Full disclosure, this is our very first time She's having a the guest. guinea pig. Yes. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm super excited, though. Me It'll too. be fun. Me too. So, yeah, that was that chapter. Thanks for thanks for hanging out and listening. Uh, give, us a, give us a like on, or a, a rating. Give us a rating on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on. Um, write a review if you want. Or send us an email or contact us on Twitter, Facegram, face, Facegram. Facegram. Yep, do Facegram. Twitter, Twitter, Facegram, and Instabook. Facebook and Instagram. I'm good at this. <laughs> but, well, Facebook owns Instagram, so Facegram works. Face, face, I like Instabook better. Instabook. Yeah, contact us, contact us on Instabook. I like Book of Faces. Well, yeah, but that does that leaves out Instagram. That's true. The, the instant... Book of face grams. <laughs> A face gram. <laughs> <laughs>
a facegram. Yeah, Instabook. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you.